Fashion and beauty are serious business. On this podcast, we will hear from amazing creative entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore their unique success stories, learn from experts, and hear about their journeys. Steve Jobs famously said that, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So let's get crazy. I'm your host, Ann Zuckerman, and this is the Just Wanted to Ask podcast. Ladies, have you ever had one of those uncomfortable headlight moments? Don't you want to be heard without distraction? Bezzy broad discs are your solution. Go to justwantedtoask.com and look for Bezzy broad discs. guest today is the co-founder of Global Leaders Organization. He helps entrepreneurs activate purpose to ensure their company is a magnet for extraordinary talent and loyal customers. His background supports his expertise as a small business strategist and tactician. For example, he went from recreational skier to Olympian in just four years. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is an inductee into the Speaker Hall of Fame, and he has led expeditions to unclimbed summits in the Himalayas. With his signature wit and wisdom, he is here to help us do what the competition is not willing to do. Please welcome Vince Vicente to our Just Wanted to Ask podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Anne. It's good to be with you. I see you've got a gold dot in behind you on your painting there. Is that significant? Uh, It truly is. It allows (laughs) me to think about what my goals are and to calm down and move towards them. And we'll talk about that shortly when we talk about your recent book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got ahead of us. Okay, let's start. Where do you you want to start? (laughs) Well, how about starting with the pink jumpsuit, the skis, and the car? Because (laughs) I want to know why you chose to be on top of a car. Well, okay. So a little backstory. I had um, raced in the sport of luge, which uh, I quit. And then I watched my buddies marching in the opening ceremonies in my town of Calgary. And I went, wait a minute. You know, you know how you're faced with these moments of, we don't make decisions until we're uncomfortable. And I was really uncomfortable not knowing if I could have made it to the Olympic games while they did, you know? So I stepped into the sport of speed skiing. Now I'm, you know, modest uh, wealth, you know, I'm going to see. So I'm a, a guy with modest uh, income and didn't have much money, but I decided not go to my grave knowing whether I could have gotten to the Olympic Games or not. So I chose speed skiing, which would be in the Olympics in Alberville four years after the Calgary Olympic Winter Games. And so, you know, I started to learn how to speed ski, but I, you know, it takes money. And I uh, had no money, so I tried to find a wind tunnel, couldn't get in one, uh, tried to get into the wind tunnel in Seattle, and they just wouldn't sneak me in because it's a federally regulated facility. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I did have a friend with a really fast car. So if you could picture myself on top of uh, the roof rack of my buddy's car in the only suit I could afford, which was a free suit, which was a pink rubber suit it was a hot pink rubber suit anyway 
That's why I was riding on top of a car in a pink rubber suit. So there you go. Well, that is definitely a challenge. What I guess the car didn't sway very much from side to side, so you didn't have to worry about falling sideways. But yeah, well, my biggest fear was getting arrested <laughs> because oh. <laughs> we're in a pink rubber suit, and I just can't picture the cops going, "Oh no, go ahead and change before we throw you in jail with all your new friends." You know, so that was uh, that was actually a bit of the, the humor behind it. But anyway, I learned a lot on top of the car. It was a very dynamic setting. Uh, but also, um, you know how when you stick your hand out the window of a car, you can feel what aerodynamics and what resistance feels like instantly. And it was the same thing on top of the car. There was a certain position on top of the car and extending the hands that felt like, oh, wait a minute, this is, it's almost like gliding through the air instead of feeling this wind resistance. So it was a really interesting uh, feedback loop just from the sensation of it. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. So you went from speed skiing. Yeah. Um, and so where do you start to activate purpose and face all of the uncertainty? I mean, with luge, you never know what's yeah. going to happen. With speed skiing, the same. Well, we kind of started there a little bit, Anne, because our human condition is one where we are more motivated by eliminating pain than towards pleasure or being attracted, going towards something that might be good for us, right? Um, and so this, this thing of regret, not knowing if I could have gotten to the Olympics or not, and I did, I ended up exceeding my own expectations and not just getting to the Olympic Games, but ranked top 10 in the world. Uh, I had a World Cup result where I was fifth in that World Cup race. So I felt I had a legitimate shot at winning um, in, well, if things went right and things went wrong for the top rated guys and ranked guys, and uh, it didn't, uh, it went, I hit a bump. And so I dropped down to 15th place and the top ranked guys, they did really well. They got gold, silver, bronze. So uh, it was an experience after the Olympic games. And I've talked to fellow Olympians and I've actually talked to veterans as well. And I'm starting to realize that there's something called post-event depression where you, you drive towards something and just go, 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 go. And it's all about that event. And then when it's over, the, Sandra Bullock was in a movie called, I think, Gravity, where she was disconnected from the, the um, space shuttle or whatever she was on and was spinning out of control into outer space and lost, Right. And that's what it felt like. It, it felt like just being lost. So to your point about uncertainty, there's, uh, we step into uncertainty because we're motivated by not wanting regret or saying, I'm never going to experience this kind of relationship again, or I'm never going to experience this kind of lack of wealth again, or, you know, being poor, whatever the, the pain is. And so we step in and start to figure it out. Well, there's also uncertainty on the other side of purpose. I mean, once that box is checked, how do you redefine purpose? How do you redefine your next moves? How do you redefine what is next? And uh, that's actually why I wrote my most recent book called The Earthquake, which is the opening line of that book, you'll remember, because I know you read them, and, and it is, um, there's no linear way out of chaos, 
right? Right. right. So if there's no linear way out of chaos, what is the way? And uh, it, it is, I explore that with the reader to ensure that they have the tools necessary to get that kind of drive through uncertainty as well. Yeah, it, it's certainly, and there are a lot of people, and as you said, it can change in, a, an, in, in an instant and we have no right. control. And right. then a lot of people today have that same challenge with who are they after they retire? Who are they after they leave a job? Um, finding themselves again. And how do they actually start recreating that? Um, which leads me to my next question. So right. many of us have pivotal moments. And at the beginning of your latest book, Earthquake, which you mentioned, um, at some point before the introduction, you mentioned that you heard uh, Dr. Lee Pulo speak in 1992, and that was a pivotal moment for you. Dr. Pulos, uh, he now knows it, but at the time he didn't know it. You know, I was just in the audience, and he said, you know, in a second of time, your conscious mind is processing with 2,000 neurons, while your subconscious mind in that same second is processing with 4 billion neurons, right? 2,000 neurons consciously versus 4 billion subconscious. Think about that just for a second. The conscious mind is process like you're aware of what I have to say. You're also taking in what's in the background and you might be thinking, oh, is that, uh, uh, you know, what author is that over there? You know, your conscious mind is processing all sorts of things in that second of time with 2000 neurons, a pretty profound awareness. But what is the awareness of 4 billion neurons firing off in that same second, right? It's incomprehensible as incomprehensible as it is for an ant riding on the back of an elephant. The ant doesn't see elephant. The ant is on the back of a gray landscape making decisions on direction. I'm going to go west because I'm, I'm making decisions around here, right? And so the ant's on the back of the elephant going west. Well, what if the elephant is headed east? The exact same ratio between the conscious and subconscious mind's activity from Poulos's research is the exact same ratio between an ant and an elephant. So we can consciously make decisions all day long, what you want to do with the, the next phase of chapter in your life, like you said, or with relationships or with finance or, you know, health, fitness. Yet, you know, we can end up in a completely different direction. I'm going to go on a diet, says the conscious mind, and starts marching west towards that diet. Well, what if we end up east to get out of the shower and look in the mirror and go, this is not working. <laughs> so to have on the flip side an alignment between the ant and the elephant, that the intention and the subconscious agenda are aligned, get out of the way because it's going to get better beyond your own expectations. And so that's why I wrote the book, The Ant and the Elephant, which is right behind over this shoulder here, is the ant and the elephant is a parable about how they first discover that the ant is on the back of the elephant. Then the ant has, well, how do I communicate with you? How do I get the subconscious mind to go into the oasis of where I want to go? So this unfolding of this dynamic uh, happens within the book. And here's a fact, Anne. People never forget an experience. 
So it's so tempting to take the professor's role. The university professors, by and large, will call me up pretty regular. I want to be a speaker. I want to get in the speaking business. But they're in the content business. They're in the business of taking content and just saying, here's more content, 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 content. Did you retain it? Right? Okay. So uh, people never forget an experience. So my bias is to take content and, and Velcro that to the experience. A story, a parable about an ant and the elephant struggling, we identify with this storyline and then the content is infused in that. And uh, I did the same thing with the, the earthquake as well because now they're established, the ant and the elephant, life's fine. And then all of a sudden they experience an earthquake and we go, wait a minute, what got me here is not going to get me there. Yeah, so... That's that's my bias on when it comes to storytelling, at least. Well, it was a fabulous story. I mean, it had me riveted. And when I finished Earthquake, um, I was so sad. I wanted more. Uh, so I immediately got um, The Ant and the Elephant and listened to that as well. And I listened to both as audio books. And yeah. you were masterful in telling the story. Well, thank you. Um, you, know, you know, you have to audition to read your own book. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, the public, the, the the publisher of the Audible version um, didn't assume that I would read the book. In fact, they said, yeah, if you'd like to read this book, your book, then you're going to have to audition. And I went, oh, OK. Uh, <laughs> OK. So I sent in an, an audition tape, you know, if you will. And uh, they picked me. And I was like, Whew, good. <laughs> well, you represented the characters so well. Great. Um, I truly could picture them, and uh, it it was a, an absolutely wonderful story. So the the flip side of that, the reality is, how do we actually combine both our conscious and our unconscious to work for us? The ant had to learn how to speak to the elephant. But, and it's great in a story, right. but as I was listening to it, I was thinking, okay, fine. The, the reality or the, the story is about the conscious and the subconscious. How do, we, how do we actually work with both? Yeah, so let's split that question, and it's a great question because it's, it's almost um, – one of the great questions in life, right? How do I, how do I have this sense of purpose? How do I have this sense of belonging? How do I have this sense of uh, mission oriented so that I feel like I'm headed in the direction I, that feels right, you know? And so uh, that question, it often starts in our society today with the middle of the book. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do right now to get to where I want to go? And that's not the starting point. The starting point, 100% has to do with what I call, well, in those books, called the elephant buzz. The elephant buzz is when a thought creates a physical reaction. Now, here's the, here's the secret sauce. The thought doesn't necessarily just have to be aspirational. It can also infuse anxiety at the same time. What thought scares you? What thought gives you anxiety? 
with regards to where you might go because it you know it could be as simple as brainstorming 300 ideas on a sheet right go to the ideas that capture your eye and now circle the one that scares you the most right that sure. has some merit in it because it, it 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 there's fear that what if it doesn't work out right what if there is this this and then it's worth at least poking at now, the corollary to that is what if you're going through a massive devastation? And that's why I wrote the earthquake, because it's not the same equation. You don't start at the emotional buzz where to, what really uh, creates this, this synthesis of aspirational and anxiety. You know, having those two together, very powerful. But if you've experienced um, a divorce, right, you've experienced the loss of a child, if you've experienced some sort of devastation, this is very trite to to all of a sudden say, okay, well, what what has that aspirational anxiety? No, they're just trying to get your footing underneath you. It is a metaphorical earthquake in your life. And so in the book, The Earthquake, it's called The Solution Loop. And The Solution Loop starts with grasping the what got you here is not going to get you there. And that the ant and the elephant is not a relationship that's side to side here. It's almost the ant is on the back of the elephant. What's, what's happening with the subconscious mind right now? There's fear. There's pain. And we're going to avoid fear and pain as much as we possibly can on a very deep, deep level. And so to force ourselves to go towards that fear and pain is nearly impossible. But if you grasp in the book, it's called grasp the contradiction, grasp the contradiction that there there's a there's a there's a way of being in the subconscious that's not going to work. And there's a way of being that the conscious mind thing assuming I've been through stuff before I can get through this, too. That's not going to work either. So think of it this way. Think of that relationship between the conscious and subconscious mind as if they're in a, a vehicle. And each individual, the conscious and subconscious mind, or the ant and the elephant, has a steering wheel, right? You're in the same vehicle, and you both have a mechanism, a steering wheel that can move the vehicle. All you're going to experience is chaos, right? And they're not going to get an agreement. Okay, subconscious, you take a turn and drive, and then, okay, conscious, you take... No, that's not how it works. In a vehicle. You have to have a third reality, which is a third way of approaching this sort of setback. And so to answer your question, uh, it, A, in, in some sort of massive setback, um, the loss of a child, this is going to take time. And to be able to create a new approach involves um, creativity and curiosity. Does this work? Does If I could simplify it, it's just a loop of going, does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? And um, it, it can be very frustrating and it, we could feel paralyzed. I mean, this stuckness that is part of the, um, the it's the byproduct of a personal earthquake is not going to help us move forward at all. So, you know, people going through PTSD, people going through massive setbacks, 
I really wrote this book for those people. And the why, why did I write that? Because I went through, <laughs> I mean, I've been to the Olympic, you went through the resume, been to the Olympic Games, recreational skier to Olympics in four years, New York Times bestselling list, blah, 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 climb mountains, blah, blah, blah. I've got all sorts of credentials to show I know how to get out of a, a get to where I want to go. Uh, when I had a personal financial setback in 08, to 09, to 10, to 11, I was going, how can I not figure this out? Like, what am I missing? And so it took me years to find out that this solution loop was the only almost like universal methodology to be able to get oneself uh, back on track and moving where they want to go in their lives. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a brilliant lesson. And so often, Many of us are just totally paralyzed and we don't know how to get out of it. We don't know how to take the first step. And at the end of your book, you have a chapter that's entitled Rest, Pace, and Go With It. Right. And I love that. Right. Um, And it was a perfect point in the book. Um, Is there any significance to the names that you chose? Uh, yeah, I've been asked that a lot. The uh, okay, so let's talk about the names. The ant is a deer. Uh, have no idea where that name came from. It ant, a deer, the ant. So they're both a words. <laughs> elgo, elgo, uh, elephant. Both alliteration of sorts. No, some people say, "Oh, you're talking about the ego," and I went, "Actually, no. I just thought it rhymed with that elephant kind of well." Uh, and then within the and then brio. That, that's the wise owl. Brio in Italian means, or it's a musical term as well, with gusto, with force, with, with uh, you know, full of life. He's the mentor. And then, uh, and then when we get into uh, the second, the earthquake, there's an, a wolf named Valifar, villain Valifar. I don't know. I always picture one of my aunts, very angry, angry aunts. <laughs> <laughs> so I had, I had her... I hope she's not listening, by the way. Anyway, so uh, to to have this uh, chromia, and it was one chromia, chromatic, uh, one eye's blue, one eye's brown. So I just kind of went down the path of, of alliteration and what sounded good. And, uh, it, it, you know, there's no meaning behind any of the names, though. None. It's just something I thought about afterwards. Right, right. Um, so um, we touched on it a bit, but coaches always speak about goals. And you spoke briefly about the fact that we move in a direction of a goal, but then once we accomplish something, then that's done. And what next? Right. But so where do people start? I mean, no. you start. How do you start with a goal with the understanding that once you get past it, you can then create a new one? There's a bunch of different answers to that. And let me start with uh, how much I don't like Kevin Costner. (laughs) 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 His movie, Field of Dreams, right? When he said it's been appropriated by the business world of build it and they will come, right? In the movie, it was build it and he will come. Uh, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's just not how it works. I mean, you, you can point at Steve Jobs and said, well, he built the iPhone and then people came and then it's what a success story. Uh, 
Uh, I'm more of a fan of, of not being the, um, not thinking you know exactly what needs to occur. It's almost a faith-based type approach, which is, uh, think of it in terms of the bucket list, right? I I don't, I I get the bucket list and I, I applaud anybody who knows exactly what should be on that list, but I don't, from an ego standpoint, think I do know what's on my bucket list, but I do know there is a what shows up list. (laughs) There is a list of things that just kind of float by and say, you want to give this a shot. And this all was created back uh, in high school when a friend of mine, uh, Jill Kudrick, she had passed away at 17 years old. I mean, it was on in May. It was, it was Monday. I remember seeing her that morning and smiling at her. She had heart failure and just died. And uh, we're all immortal teenagers and we're thinking, what? The? And, and then we go to the funeral and there's hundreds of us in this uh, listening to the eulogies. And it was a realization that life might be shorter than expected. And there was all of a sudden a sense of urgency. And for whatever reason, I made a decision, do everything at least once, do everything at least once. So as long as it was moral, ethical, and um, and legal. Anyway, <laughs> think of that as a guideline. But anyway, so wandering on through life, trying new things, doing new things, and uh, things will show up. Things show up that are, are um, opportunities. Things show up that are, that kind of give you a little, like, like that elephant buzz. There's something about this. What is it about this, you know? Uh, think of Toastmasters as, as kind of a good example of an avenue into presenting because people that join Toastmasters by and large are terrified of speaking, right? But why would they go do that? There's something there. There's something to, to, to honor that curiosity. There's something about putting fear aside and being larger than that fear. I mean, fear is you can run away from it. It's only going to get bigger. <laughs> but if you run towards it, funny enough, it gets smaller. So to have that kind of uh, openness, uh, and I think, I th- you know, in, in many regards, I think that's our biggest issue right now is the open-minded nature of us getting along, you know, as opposed to narrowing the scope, the scope, the scope. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. And missing all the other uh, availability that is that is waiting for us to just pay attention to and go, oh, wait a minute, what's that over there? Poke at it. I call it the mathematics of opportunity. You know, if you open a door, you're going to see a bunch of other doors. All right, pick that door. Okay, open that door. What's in that door? Oh, wow, look at that. And so did I start off climbing mountains in the Himalayas? No. <laughs> the guy phoned, called up and said, hey, you want to go climb a mountain in the Himalayas? I went, yeah. Sure. <laughs> and so now I'm putting on expeditions in the Himalayas of unclimbed peaks, right? Do I, did I know anything about climbing before 200, 2006? No. But the mathematics or opportunity allow us to step forward. And you start to, you start to poke at the meaning of life here. You know, why are we here? Are we here to just play it safe? Are we here to, well, wait a minute, what if I get hurt? I don't know if you know this. Uh, we didn't even talk about this beforehand. Did you hear about the Solomon Rushdie? Oh, yes. I meant to ask you about that. Yeah. So um, 
Well, in case you don't know who Salman Rushdie is, he had uh, written a book in the in late 80s called Satanic Verses. He, uh, the Ayatollah, just went off and said, we got to put a fatwa on this guy's head. There was a, uh, a basically a bounty of $3 million. Anybody who can kill this guy named Salman Rushdie will get this $3 million reward because there was... He had described something about Muhammad in his book. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any read the book, but I was very curious to hear Salman Rushdie speak, which was just recent and random. This is, I'm living in Dallas. I'm a Canadian who met a Texas gal. I live in Dallas and now I'm in the Lake Chautauqua in the middle of nowhere. And Salman Rushdie is going to speak. I went, shoot, I'll go to that. That'd be interesting. The mathematics opportunity. So I just, Walked through that door. I got there early. Didn't realize the timing of things and, and also knew that I didn't want to be late, which meant that I'm sitting in the front row waiting for him to start. The, the moderator says, welcome, everybody. And then all of a sudden, the attacker comes off to the left, my left, jumps on stage and starts stabbing Mr. Rushdie. I was just sitting there, but I went, he needs help. <laughs> like, and I jumped up and there was a gentleman about 10, 15, 20 feet from my left and same on the right. So three of us jumped on stage and pulled the attacker back, and pinned him to the, the floor of the stage until the cops got there and handcuffed him. But uh, yeah, I mean, some opportunity presents itself and you have to make a decision. Am I going to be a bystander or am I going to be an upstander? Am I going to step forward. And you know what I was thinking the entire time as I'm running towards a guy that's trying to kill somebody else with the knife is I'll figure it out when I get there. I'm no, I'm no, there's people said, well, that was courageous or heroic. And it was like, well, you could look at it that way, but I, it, it was, it, it was, it was necessary. <laughs> it was necessary to step towards it, uh, not to be an, a bystander and see how this plays out. You know? So anyway, Wow. Yeah, I was shocked. I was actually fortunate enough to hear him speak years ago in Trenton, New Jersey. And same type of thing. I saw that he was going to be speaking and I thought, well, I have to hear him speak. And so I went. Uh, There was a lot of security then. Right. So it shocked me that there was an open stage and there was so little, seemingly so little security. Yeah, it shocked me too. Uh, but uh, take heart that uh, this world has upstanders. Take heart that there is not just a world of bystanders and critics, you know. Uh, and uh, that, that's what I, I feel good about is there was, there was uh, a number of us who stepped forward to help rather than um, leave him to his own devices. He'd be dead right now if we didn't jump on stage. So, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll be able to recover and speak again. He's recovering. I understand he's recovering. He he lost, I believe he lost an eye. I watched it. The guy stabbed him in the skull. And then he stabbed him four times in the neck. And uh, and I think he got stabbed in the liver as well. There was over 10 stab wounds. So, you know, uh, it, it, it. It's let's get back on track here. So the whole notion that we can engage and not being sure what what it is that's waiting, just step through that door, step forward. You'll figure it out. 
And it, 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 it's, it's something starts to drop. I mean, I've got three kids, college age kids, two are now out of college and working. One is still in college and all three of them, you know, are starting to go, Oh, wait a minute. I'm working like the youngest right now. Who's in her senior year. Uh, got a scholarship for dance. She's an, she's an amazing dancer, right? She got scholarship offers across the country. Uh, she, um, her major right now is film, <laughs> right? Because she got in, she going, wait a minute, look at this. And then she was poking at it and went, I really like this. And then she ended up doing a study abroad in Prague at a film institute. And I, that's, the, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Like, we don't have to know. You know, we don't expect a college kid to know exactly what they're going to do with their life. Although we always ask, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, poor kids are just like, we stop asking this stupid question. <laughs> but, but in today's world, there are so many possibilities oh, yeah. and possibilities that we don't even know exist yet. Right. Yeah. Um, because certainly when I was young, the thought of being able to have a computer or to do a Zoom meeting, right. um, or products that couldn't have ever been manufactured or made because the components didn't exist. Right. It, right. It's it's absolutely amazing, and I love the opportunity. And I that's what keeps me going every day. There's always something new to discover. Um, getting back to your book, you speak briefly about that. Grief and fear are cousins. How are they? How are they cousins? Well, they're both distractions, uh, and they both take us away from being proactive, being in motion. And to grieve is absolutely something worth embracing, and so is fear. I mean, fear is not to be going. Oh, I'm not scared. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. So I've skied at 135 miles an hour, right? Down a mountain. I know what fear feels like, right? And I also know that it is not part of the equation of peak performance, especially when you're trying to compete in the Olympic games, right? So fear ends up having its place, right? It ends up having, uh, I had a conversation with a, a former Olympian who's super famous, uh, he's somewhat controversial, so I won't say his name, but he, he, uh, he said, I use fear as my friend. And I, it summarized how I liked using fear to my advantage. For example, I would do when I was training, let's say a hundred pushups, right? You're getting to 90 pushups and your arms are going, you know, they're shaking. And then I would go, if I don't do 105 pushups, I'm not going to get to the Olympic games. I would play games with myself. I would use fear as my advantage. And then I would do not just a hundred pushups. I would do 105 pushups. And so I used it to motivate me to just, you know, move further. Uh, grief. You can, <laughs> You can put grief in a closet and not pay attention to it, but it's going to be there every time you open that closet. In fact, it's going to, it's going to take on a life of its own if it's ignored. Uh, so it's very much a courageous move to move towards grief. It's a courageous move towards fear, and that's why they're cousins. Interesting. I'll have to 
work on that myself. We all we're all a work in progress, and I mean, just till to our graves, we'll still be working on stuff. It's like, okay, I gotta figure this one out now. Great. <laughs> well, I yeah, I certainly have, and um, I keep joking that I'll be an overnight success when I'm eighty, and I'm getting closer and closer. So. <laughs> It's becoming more and more of a challenge. It used to be a joke, and now it's like, wait a minute, I can see the, I can see it from here. <laughs> yeah. And I truly can. Um, so, what are you going to do next? Right. Um, because you've gone from speed yeah. to the ant and the elephant, and you're climbing mountains. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let me let me kind of pair. Let me. Um, frame my goal acquisition how i've evolved with that it used to be very goals and like get to the olympic games right get on the new york times best-selling list and the more i start to go towards new goals the more i'm more focused on a the experience of being in the place of enjoying the journey which is such a cliche but it's true i to to really enjoy this so right now um, I'm at the probably the top end of the scale when it comes to non-celebrity speakers. Okay, so if I was a celebrity, a Brene Brown, I think she makes $150,000 for a speech, right? She, but she's a celebrity. I'm on the top end of non-celebrity status. I don't have anywhere to go unless I became a celebrity. And for me to to want to be a celebrity in order to do that, just feels like I don't I don't need to do that. But it's almost along the lines of the what shows up list. And so I'm giving speeches around the country and which feels great. And hopefully this this podcast leads to me giving another speech because it's just so much fun and and taking people through that Olympic story. Um, but it's it's along the lines of the what shows up list. And I, I'm a big believer that the market will find you. And one thing I didn't touch on from your question earlier if you're feeling like you're stuck or you have um, in that place, it it's such a massive advantage to do what you're good at, to provide value by doing what you are good at. Now, uh, for me, it was communicating a message. So during the pandemic, great example, my calendar was wiped out, right. I'm the sole breadwinner for our home and I wasn't winning any bread. Right? It was, it was, it was, it was terrifying. And, uh, but what I could do is send out videos of encouragement and that kind of thing. So I immediately started doing that. And my thought was, um, you know, I'll do this every day of the pandemic until it ends in about three or four weeks from now. <laughs> So, so 280 videos later, every day providing value, um, you know, <laughs> I was going, wow, this is going to go on for a while. Um, but I, it was so enriching to feel like I was providing value of, with my expertise. About the same time, I started to really put the finishing touches on the earthquake, the book, found a publisher that wanted to publish it. And so that's what kind of came out of this process. 
And, uh, and more recently, uh, something I was never on my radar, but it just showed up is board positions on boards. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but if you provide value, is there a direct line from the value I'm doing on these videos and being invited to a board position? I, I don't, I, if there is, I haven't seen it. Maybe there's a dotted line, right? Maybe somebody sported this to somebody else and go, man, he'd be good on our board. Um, so that, that kind of thing is, I think, how it plays out. So to answer your question, what's next? I don't 100% know, but um, it's less about another resume item and more about um, providing value. Yeah, I love your YouTube videos. I went through a whole bunch of them, and I love the fact that they're categorized. So I was going through different ones and picking things out. They're fun, um, aren't they? They yeah. are. They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah, they're fun to do. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. people consume information in so many different ways. Yeah, that's true. So I have ordered your books in print. They but... were sent, by the way. They were sent, uh, but there was you might have ordered them on just before we were going on holidays or something. So I think you're getting them today, if I remember correctly. So, <laughs> Well, so. I wanted to hold one up, but yeah, I, uh, I, because now I'd like to go back and look at certain chapters of the book more, yeah. uh, more intensely, yeah. but, uh, but I love listening. And certainly from books to videos to podcasts, Right. There's just so many ways of consuming information. Mm -hmm. So speak a little bit more about, so you spoke about goals and you spoke about moving in a direction and you've spoken briefly about the gold dots, but tell us again about how you came up with the concept of the gold dot and what it represents. Yeah. The gold dot is probably the single most profound tool your listeners could use in their lives moving forward. So pay close attention. One, you'll gravitate towards your current dominant thought. You'll gravitate towards your current dominant thought. Second, you'll gravitate to that which you believe to be true. Whatever you believe to be true, you'll go towards that truth. What if you were the architect for your dominant thought and your truth? It behooves all of us to know what that dominant thought should be <laughs> and what the truth should be, right? Because sometimes the truth just appears to us. I've got a very good friend who is uh, just so wound up about this uh, conspiracy that something, 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 you know, that's his truth. Guess what? he's going to gravitate towards that negative framework, right? He's just going to go, you gravitate towards your dominant thought. Are you the architect for that dominant thought? Or is it a, a, a imposed on you from repetition bias or confirmation bias or something from the external agenda, right? So make it your agenda, make it something that uh, resonates with you personally. So for example, my gold dot when I was ski racing was this, is the gold dot. I'm the fastest speed skier in Canada, top 10 in the world. So every time I saw, saw a gold dot should be one. Yeah. I'm the fastest speed skier in Canada, top 10 in the world. So every time I saw a gold dot, it would trigger 
five senses and the emotional quotient attached to that, those five senses. So the five senses, what does it look like? If you're the fastest in Canada, top 10 in the world, you're marching in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. So the framework of a gold dot is that it's very uh, easy to picture. So uh, the gold dots now, I've added um, gratitude to gold dots. Thank you for, or I'm grateful for, um, the new one for my wife and I is a mansion by the ocean, okay? (laughs) We live in Dallas. We're nowhere near an ocean right now. But in this mansion by the ocean, and then you might go, oh, that's very materialistic. Well, guess what? Michelle's right hand is on my left shoulder. We can hear the surf, can smell the ocean. I can feel her right hand on my shoulder and I can feel the sun coming down over from the up to the right. Uh, Look in the sliding glass doors and see the reflection of us being fit and healthy. Okay, inside the sliding glass doors are awards for New York Times bestselling lists and other awards. Uh, There's also a piece of paper on the desk in there. Congratulations for owning this without any mortgage. Right. Okay, so financial relationship, health, fitness, all that. So if your gold dot is so comprehensive in nature that it has a 3D, uh, almost a a three dimensional, well, multidimensional because it's it's just the smells of the five senses and the emotion attached to it. How, how does that satisfaction feel? All right. Here's, here's what the advantage of the gold dots. It is a trigger for the emotional buzz. So every time you see it, it triggers these five senses and the emotion attached to it. And at the beginning, you see a gold dot and it might take you 90 seconds to go through all those elements. Now I just go, Oh, you know, it's, it's like, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, that. I mean, it's like ding, 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 ding. You'll gravitate towards your current dominant thought. You'll gravitate to that which you believe to be true. Be the architect for your dominant thought. Be the architect for that which you believe to be true. And if, uh, if the mind, which is immensely powerful, it's not the conscious mind. The conscious mind knows we live in Dallas. The conscious mind knows that we're nowhere near a, a, an ocean. But the subconscious mind retains experiences. So an example there would be, uh, let's say somebody um, says something to you very negative and and toxic, right? And if you're like me, I just go, uh, you know, I don't know what to say, right? But guess what? After we go, oh, we replay it, right? I know what I would have said. We replay it again, say it again, say it again. You re-experience it, what, a thousand times? They said it once, yet we're experiencing it a thousand times. It went from an innocuous statement to, you know, Hitler's sister, (laughs) you know, that said something. And you're just, we've extrapolated a a reality around that experience. And so, and we'll gravitate to that that experience uh, next time we see that person. So to take this human condition that's a natural reflex to re-experience stuff that's painful, re-experience stuff that gives you joy, you know, uh, is, is just to, to be that architect of that. And so that explains the, mag- the magnitude of the efficacy of a gold dot to trigger 
the five senses, the emotion that would be attached to that. And so being very clear on what that needs to be, you know, this marching in the opening ceremonies of the Olympic games, uh, hearing the national uh, now from Canada and then feeling the ground under the feet. Oh, but here's a little side story. Nobody, nobody really knows this story is I, in, in, in fastest Canada top 10 in the world, marching in the opening ceremonies, I couldn't associate a, a, a taste to the opening ceremonies, right? So I imagined having a cookie and I was eating my favorite cookie, which is a, a oatmeal chocolate chip. Love those cookies. So I was eating this in this 3D, five ex- senses, experience, you know, emotion. And so let's fast forward to the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. I'm in the Olympic Games. This is mission accomplished. I'm more focused on being on time than, you know, being there because it's going to happen. I get there and I go, I don't have a cookie, right? (laughs) But who cares? I don't need a cookie. It happened, right? So as we're marching, um, all the athletes, we're all supposed to be packed together. But when we went up the steps, athletes were starting to go down rows and I lost the entire Canadian ski team. And I got mixed up with the Canadian hockey team. So I'm about the height of a hobbit, right? I've got this <laughs> hockey player, hockey player, hockey player, hobbit, high, you know. And so anyway, I'm sitting, you know, in between these two hockey players. And this hockey player, during the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games, turns to me and goes, you want a cookie? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I went, yeah. Because <laughs> we were all so hungry because they didn't feed us in the staging area. They don't have food. Like, would you like some donuts or whatever? So... We're just starved. He says, yeah, my, my mom baked me cookies, thought I might be hungry. <laughs> so he had this bag of cookies, and it, was, it wasn't the, my favorite cookie, but it was a cookie. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there you and go. And now you have a, a, an even better encapsulated memory within oh, yeah. the memory. Oh, yeah. This works. This absolutely works. So you design your gold dot, and, you know, that's what I do for a living. So... Uh, the ant and the elephant, if you just reread that and kind of go through those, it'll give you kind of the, the steps in order to kind of create, figure out what that emotional buzz is for you, right? And if some of your listeners are going through their own personal earthquake, the, the gold dot shows up again in that book, but it's a different gold dot because you're trying to get unstuck. You're trying to break through this paralysis that comes from pain. And setback and the life of the world that you thought you were going to be living has been turned upside down. Uh, that's a different deal altogether. But still, the gold dot is a base of fundamental truth. You'll gravitate towards your dominant thought. You'll gravitate to that which you believe to be true. So be the architect for both. Yeah. But in fact, survival is hope. You survival. know, as long as you have hope, yeah. then survival is possible. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if you've had friends that have, have committed suicide, but, uh, and there's never an explanation. You never know why. And I've had probably, well, I can think of two personal, uh, experiences, like people close to me. And, uh, the why is just like, why did they do this? Like, uh, but if they lost hope, I can see that as being a reason why. So, uh, hope is such a, um, is it is attached to curiosity in a way, isn't it? Right. It's like, if there's hope, it's like, well, what is it then? And so to be curious about 
hoping into the next day or the next minute, right, is, is, the, is one way to get there. Certainly. So I understand the Dalai Lama has endorsed your book. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, uh, nothing comes, comes easy. I mean, every time I've had a friend say, Hey, I got a book. Can you introduce me to the Dalai Lama? I said, that's, that's, no, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, and it's, this is all mathematics of opportunity or what shows up. Right. I didn't set out to have the Dalai Lama endorse my book, but I went to one, I had organized one of these expeditions to the Himalayas. Uh, he's been uh, exiled from uh, Tibet, so he has to live in a, a town called Dharamsala in northern India. And uh, so I'm staring at the organizer. We said goodbye to the expedition that went off up the mountain. I've got this bum ankle. I said, shoot, what do we do? He says, well, why don't we go on a road trip? I went, okay. So we're on this road trip. And he says, hey, you know, I got a buddy who's security for the Dalai Lama. Um, uh <laughs> And why do we have a beer with him? So we had a beer with a guy. His nick, his name was Raj Beer. Raj in Hindi means king, and beer is beer. So the king of beers is Budweiser. Guess what we were drinking? We're drinking Budweiser <laughs> near Dollar Dharamsala. He says, "You want to meet the Dalai Lama?" I said, "Sure." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so he's setting it all up, and um, and the day that I was going to meet the Dalai Lama, my, my group that I'd organized, and my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter was one of those in the group, was arriving back at, at base camp, or at, uh, sorry, the trailhead that exact same day. And I went, yeah, tell the Dalai Lama I can't make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went and met, uh, met up with the group, no regrets or whatever. But the thought was now the seeds planted and I'm going, what if he did the forward to the earthquake? Because if anybody knows about dealing with earthquakes and how to help people through it, that guy does, right? So uh, pursued that for close to a year and change. And I uh, had him actually hold the draft copy of the book, The, the Earthquake, uh, in his hands. And so they, they had it. And then uh, the way I describe it is I knew a monk who knew a monk who knew a monk. <laughs> And that's how the, the Dalai Lama ended up endorsing the book. Oh, by the way, they were very clear that I understood it was not an endorsement for the book. It was a blurb. Oh, <laughs> went, okay. All right. All right. So when you read the endorsement, the blurb of the book looks a whole lot like an endorsement. But I, you know, whatever, tomato, tomato. So anyway, that's the Dalai Lama story. That's, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. So people can find you on your website and I definitely recommend uh, reading Earth, the earthquake as well as um, the ant and the elephant. Yeah. I love them both so very, very much. And the information will be in the show notes. So I encourage everyone to go to the show notes and connect. Yeah. Um, but I thank you so very much. This has been a true, true pleasure. Well, you're doing all the heavy lifting. You're putting this podcast out there and you're uh, having people tune in and I'm happy to promote it with you as well. Um, it's just, uh, we're kind of in the, in different boats, but the same storm. So let's, uh, let's uh, make it as best we can and uh, make the world a better place. And you're, you're making giant leaps in that direction, even though you might not have a technical background, <laughs> you're, you're making it happen. Anne. so you should feel good about that too. So thank you for including me in the list. 
Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Please follow us, submit a rating and review, and share us with your friends. This helps our message reach more listeners. For more information about my products, visit justwantedtoask.com. Thank you.